Good morning, Crosspoint family. Today's scripture reading is from Acts chapter 10, verses 1 through 16 in the CSV translation. Um, if you have a Bible or a device, I encourage you to get there now. And while you're doing that, my name is Brenna Stork. My husband, um, Dylan, and I have been covenant members and been attending Crosspoint for about seven years. And we attend currently with our, <laughs> with our 12-year-old foster daughter, Bella, and our new foster son's four-month-old twins, Asher and Weston. And, and we're just so grateful for anyone who's been so um, kind in praying for us, thinking of us, donating diapers, wipes, all the things. Um, we've been blessed beyond measure to care for these sweet kids that God's placed in our home. Um, we're a member of the Funk Community Group, and I serve on the worship team. Let's hear God's word. Okay. There was a man in Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian Regiment. He was a devout man and feared God along with his whole household. He did many charitable deeds for the Jewish people and always prayed to God. About three in the afternoon, he distinctly saw a vision of an angel of God who came in and said to him, Cornelius. Staring at him in awe, he said, what is it, Lord? The angel told him, your prayers and your acts of charity have ascended as a memorial of offering before God. Now send men to Joppa and call for Simon, who is also named Peter. He is lodging with Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, he called two of his household servants and devout soldier, who was one of those who attended him. After explaining everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they were traveling and nearing the city, Peter went up to pray on the roof about noon and became hungry and wanted to eat. But while they were preparing something, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and an object that resembled a large sheet coming down, being lowered by its four corners to the earth. In it were all the four-footed animals and reptiles of the earth and the birds of the sky. And a voice said to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. No, Lord, Peter said, for I have never eaten anything impure and ritually unclean. Again, a second time, the voice said to him, what God has made clean, do not call impure. This happened three times, and suddenly the object was taken up into heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Bella. Thanks, Brenna. If you have a Bible, uh, we'll be in Acts 10. If you don't have a good Bible, I encourage you to get one at Guest Connections, and I'd encourage you, if you're new to reading the scriptures, the Gospel of Luke, if you don't know where the, where the Gospel of Luke is, you use the table of contents, but the Gospel of Luke would be a great uh, place to begin reading the scriptures, just taking a chapter a day, learning about who Jesus is. On our website, under who we are, uh, we have a page called the Crosspoint Culture, and it's a, a statement about a 500 words or so trying to give a picture of who we are as a church, who we're seeking to be as well as become by the grace of God and by the Spirit of God. The second paragraph begins with this. No one is beyond the saving and redeeming power of the gospel. That is a conviction we have here at Crosspoint, not because we believe it to be true, but because the scripture teaches it as truth. Scripture, which is our authority. And today in Acts 10, we see that very truth being proclaimed, being taught to us. That the good news of Jesus is to go to all people because all people are invited to repent and believe the gospel. Believe in Jesus, that no one is beyond the saving and redeeming power of his good news. Those of us here who are Christ followers, we are the first to humbly and wholeheartedly say 
that if the Lord's grace is enough to save us, if he can save a wretch like me, then no one is beyond the saving and redeeming power of his good news, including you, my friend. You're not here by accident. The Lord is at work in your life and your heart, drawing you to himself, seeking to reveal who he is to you. Acts 10 is the longest singular story shown in the book of Acts. We're going to make our way through verse 33, and then we'll finish it out next week and move into chapter 11. So starting again in verse 1, there was a man in Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment. He was a devout man and feared God among, along with his whole household. He did many charitable deeds for the Jewish people and always prayed to God. First of all, so Caesarea, it's the seat of the Roman government of the province of Judea. So it had a heavy Roman presence among its population. And because of that, because of that heavy Gentile presence, Jews had a disdain for the city. Saw it as a place of ungodliness. And among that Roman population was Cornelius. And he was a centurion, meaning he was a leader of a hundred soldiers. Such a leadership role led to a prominence in the community. And Cornelius is a Gentile. He's not a Jew. But according to uh, Luke's account here, he is a devout man. He feared God, led his family to do the same thing. Meaning he believed there was one true God and not many gods like the Greeks believed, such as Zeus or Apollos. He sought to obey the Ten Commandments, live an outwardly moral life. His morality was evidenced in that he prayed he was charitable with his wealth. He was paid five times what a normal soldier would get paid. He was sympathetic to the Jewish people, supportive of their faith, but had not converted to the Jewish faith. For, exa for example, his, his diet was not kosher at this point. There's an element of Cornelius seeking the Lord. He's interested in the things of the Lord and wants to lead his household in that way. But he's still in need of the gospel. He's still in need to repent and believe in Jesus. As one author put it, Cornelius was a religious man, but he was not a regenerate man, meaning he still needed to be born again in Christ. He needed spiritual rebirth, and that would not take place through doing a bunch of religious works, but rather through the power of the Spirit. Rebirth is a work of the Lord, not a work of man. It's the same truth that Jesus was telling the devout religious man of Nicodemus in John 3. Cornelius was still in need of the good news of who Jesus is, what Jesus had done. Friends, good moral people, which there are plenty of, are still in need of salvation by grace and through faith alone. For good people still fall short of the perfection that is required by the Lord, per perfect obedience. Good people, apart from real faith in Christ, still die and spend eternity separated from God and His goodness and His grace. Good people are still in need of a Savior, and their religious, their moral works are a worthless, insufficient Savior. But Jesus, He is the worthy, sufficient Savior of the world. And he's come to bring good news of great joy to all people, those who are outwardly, outwardly moral like the older brother in Luke 15 and those who are outwardly immoral like the younger brother in Luke 15. Friends, bringing your resume of morality or I was better than that guy. Did you see that guy? I was better than he was. Bringing that to the Lord on judgment day is worthless. It's worthless. 
May we instead bring our wholehearted worship and devotion to Jesus, the Lamb of God who laid down His life, took it back up on the third day and saves us by grace alone. The Jews respected someone like Cornelius, and yet they're not going to share a meal with Cornelius. They're not going to enter his home. They're not going to be in fellowship around a table with him because at at the end of the day, Cornelius was still a Gentile. He was not one of them. He was on the outside of the Jewish faith and was still unclean according to them. Verses 3 through 8, about 3 in the afternoon, he distinctly saw in a vision an angel of God who came in and said to him, Cornelius, staring at him in awe, he said, what is it, Lord? And the angel told him, your prayers and your acts of charity have ascended as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa and call for Simon, who is also named Peter. He's lodging with Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, he called two of his household servants and a devout soldier who was one of those who attended him. After explaining everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. You know what would be easier in the scriptures? If if a name was never repeated in the scriptures. If people just went by the one name the whole time. All right? Maybe that's just my brain, but that's what I think. Joppa is about 31 miles south of Caesarea. And just to keep Cornelius on his toes listening-wise, he is to call for Simon, who's named Peter, also goes by Cephas, but who's also staying with a guy named Simon, who's a tanner, but not Simon the magician in Acts 9. And Cornelius listened well, because when an angel shows up, you're not going to look at your phone. You're you're not. You're going to put your phone down, you're going to listen to the angel. And Cornelius obeys. You'll notice in the story, the Lord sends an angel in a vision to Cornelius, but he uses a person, in this case, an imperfect man, Simon Peter, to preach the gospel to Cornelius. Couldn't an angel have communicated the gospel? Sure. That's not how Jesus commissioned his people in Acts 1.8. He did not say, I would send angels as my witnesses. No, rather he says, I'll send my people, empowered by the Spirit, to be his witnesses from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. And here in Acts 10, the gospel is going to the Gentiles, more and more toward the ends of the earth. And so in this story, you've got two things happening at the same time in two different locations. The Lord is at work in Caesarea in Cornelius' life, and we'll see the Lord at work in Peter's life in Joppa. As God is at work, preparing Cornelius and his family to hear the truth. He is also at work in Peter's heart to not only deliver the gospel, to speak of it, to tell of it, to show of it, but understand to a greater degree who the good news is for, that the good news is to go to all people. Verses 9 through 16, the next day, as they were traveling and nearing the city, Peter went up to pray on the roof about noon. He became hungry and wanted to eat. But while they were preparing something, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and an object that resembled a large sheet coming down, being lowered by its four corners to the earth. In it were all the four-footed animals and reptiles of the earth and the birds of the sky. A voice said to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. No, Lord, Peter said, for I've never eaten anything impure and ritually unclean. Again, a second time, the Lord's the voice said to him, what God has made clean, do not call impure. This happened three times, and suddenly the object was taken up to heaven. Now, we're not not sure what this looked like. But what we do know 
is the Lord has spoken to Peter, given him a vision, and this vision is unsettling to Peter. And here's why. Well, Peter comes from a Jewish background. And for the Jew who sought to live according to the law of Moses, they saw some foods as unclean. And here, he's being told to eat unclean animals. Animals that he would have stayed away from, not even touched, not even entertained the idea of eating. So, for instance, here you've got the first ever pigs in a blanket. <laughs> it's not my joke. I, there's nothing new under the sun. It's, it lives out there. We'll just say anonymous gave the joke, okay? Because we really don't know. First lobster roll, shrimp in a basket. Not as good as pigs in a blanket, but... Leviticus 11 details a list of what is considered clean and unclean, approved and forbidden animals to Jews seeking to live by the law of Moses, clean or unclean. And here in verse 12 in Acts 10, it says all the animals, all the animals from, so this is a zoo aquarium put together in one sheet with four corners, not fitted sheet, not one of those terrible things, four corners to symbolize north south, east, west, the four corners of the globe. For 1,400 years, Jews avoided these animals because God had told them to, because they were unclean, according to the law of Moses. Food restrictions were one of the dividing walls between Jew and Gentile. So Peter responds with shock of, uh, no way, I I'm not doing that. I, I denied you back in the garden. I'm not going down that path again. I'm not blowing it again. It's just some sort of test. I know I'm hungry so I'm probably tempted right now. Maybe I'm weak, but no, Lord. I've never eaten anything impure, ritually unclean. I'm not starting now, he's saying. And this vision happens three times over because like Peter and like you and I, we don't always get it early. We need to be taught multiple times. The Lord is emphasizing something here and wants to make sure Peter is getting it. Verse 17, while Peter was deeply perplexed, about what the vision he had seen might mean. I, I love the honesty of the Scriptures, that that is left in there. He's deeply perplexed. Is this about food, Lord? Is this about something else? And then it becomes really, really clear, really fast to him. The light is going to come on because the Spirit's going to illuminate this new truth to Peter's heart. Don't miss this reality. Peter is an apostle upon which the foundation of the church is being built. The Lord has used him to, to preach in Acts 2, to launch the church. The Lord has healed people through him. He's a leader. He's a first among equals in the early church. But he's still an imperfect man. There's sanctification yet to happen in his life, and he won't arrive here in Acts 10 either. But God is transforming him and growing him because the same God who is at work in Peter's life and heart is at work in the believer's life and heart, you and I, to this day transforming, growing us continually more and more into the image and likeness of the Son of God, Jesus. So let's welcome that shaping work, that transforming work. Let's not resist that, but let's welcome that. While Peter was deeply perplexed about what the vision he had seen might mean, right away the men who had been sent by Cornelius, having asked directions to Simon's house, there's no way they didn't try to find it on their own first. But they have to ask directions. They called out, asking if Simon, who was also named Peter, was lodging there. While Peter was thinking about the vision, the Spirit told him, three men are here looking for you. Get up, go downstairs, and go with them with no doubts at all, because I have sent them. Then Peter went down to the men and said, here I am, the one you're looking for. What is the reason you're here? So, so Peter obeys. 
still deeply perplexed, still unsure of what he will meet or who he will meet at the end of those stairs, but he's going to walk by faith. He's, his concern is not himself, but there's, there's this command, with no doubts at all, walk by faith. And he gets to the bottom of the stairs, and he's looking at three men who are not Jews at the doorstep of Simon the Tanner's house. Two servants and a soldier, all Gentiles. Why did God send these men to me? The Lord is beginning to transform Peter's worldview here. Verses 22 and 23. They said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who has a good reputation with the whole Jewish nation, was divinely directed by a holy angel to call you to his house and to hear a message from you. Peter then invited them in and gave them lodging. The next day he got up and set out with them and some of the brothers from Joppa went with him. So not only does the Gentile want to hear the good news, but an officer in the Roman army. We're starting to see a transition in Peter's heart. He's getting a clearer picture of what Jesus meant in Matthew 28 or Acts 1.8. How the good news was to go to all nations, all people, to the ends of the earth. And he's open to the Spirit's work right now. He's seeking to be led by the Lord and not himself which is an evidence, which is evidenced by verse 23. Peter then invited them in and gave them lodging. Gave them lodging means he entertained them. He welcomed them as guests. And this is against Jewish custom. No Orthodox Jew would be welcoming Gentiles. Yes, step across that threshold, sit at my table. Or sitting at the same table sharing food. This is against custom because hospitality and food and fellowship around a table these are evidences of relationship that what had separated has now been joined what divided was it was now being set aside brothers and sisters let us not miss or neglect the sweet significant spirit-filled moments that we can live out as we are hospitable and welcoming and sharing a meal and a table, not just with the family of God, but those outside the family, those who are praying would, would be welcomed into the family by the grace of God, those still in need of the gospel. In my own faith story, I had a friend and family growing up that welcomed me into their home, around their table. And those were significant times for me, looking back, of gospel planting and watering. They invited me in, to use the words there that Luke uses. May we do the same to loved ones who are still in need of love and hope in the news of who Jesus is and what he's done, that he is reigning and ruling. He is risen. God was using this vision of a spread of food on a sheet with four corners to show, to show that he is able to save and make anyone clean. We are all born unclean in need of cleansing, in need of forgiveness of sin, being washed white as snow, and the blood of Jesus, His sacrifice on the, on the cross was enough to, for that cleansing. The gospel is to go to, to the ends of the earth. And it's not Peter's role, it's not a Christ follower's role to call anyone impure or unclean. As if to imply, well, they're beyond the saving and redeeming power of the gospel. They've done too much, they've done too little, they're beyond. That's not what a Christ follower is to do. Peter understood the vision, the meaning of the vision more and more. 
that the animals in this vision were symbolic of the Gentiles to whom God was preparing to give the gospel. Jesus had said in John 10, which Peter would be familiar with, Jesus had, had said, John 10, verses 14 through 18, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. But I have other sheep that are not from this sheep pen. I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice. Then there will be one flock and one shepherd. This is why the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it back up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own. I have the right to lay it down. I have the right to take it back up. I have received this command from the Father. Jesus said, I have other sheep, not within the confines of the Jewish fold, but beyond. And here, it's happening. It's happening here in Acts 10. The good shepherd is calling to those who will hear his voice and respond, return to him as the shepherd and overseer of their souls. The promises of the Lord are coming to coming to pass because our God is faithful. So the three that came to get Peter and Peter and the other Jewish brothers, Jewish Christian brothers, all start to head back north to Caesarea. And all Cornelius knows at this point is that he's inviting a Jew to his home who by tradition wouldn't step across the threshold, who wouldn't be in fellowship around a table with Gentiles. Verses 24 through 29, the following day he entered Caesarea now Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him, fell at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up and said, Stand up, I myself am also a man. While talking with him, he went in and found a large gathering of people. Peter said, said to them, You know it's forbidden for a Jewish man to associate with or visit a foreigner, but God has shown me that I must not call any person impure or unclean. That's why I came without any objection when I was sent for. So may, may I ask why you sent for me? John Stott said that Peter refused both to be treated by Cornelius as a god and to treat Cornelius as if he was a dog. I love that. Peter refused both. Peter's understanding the vision of the sheet with four corners and all the animals and then walking in obedience to the truth that the Lord has shown him. Jewish laws were very strict. Jews were not to associate in the same home with Gentiles. It would leave them ritually unclean. And here Peter is standing in a Gentile's home with lots of Gentiles around that Cornelius has gathered up, invited. God has shown me is what Peter said. He is a man who's living under the authority of God. He's seeking to live a life that is being led by, directed by, empowered by the Spirit of God. This moment here is as much about the gospel being shared with Cornelius as it is with Peter's heart, experiencing transformation of who the gospel is for, understanding that no one is beyond. Verses 30, 30 through 33, Cornelius replied four days ago at this hour at three in the afternoon, I was praying in my house. Just then a man in dazzling clothing stood before me and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your acts of charity have been remembered in God's sight. Therefore, send someone to Joppa and invite Simon here, who is also named Peter. He is lodging in Simon the Tanner's house by the sea. So I immediately sent for you and it was good of you to come. So now we are all in the presence of God to hear everything you have commanded by the Lord. Can you... Can you sense the eagerness 
of Cornelius here to hear from the Lord through his chosen instrument, Peter. How beautiful a picture this is. A, a man who knows things about God. He's interested in the things of God, but, but doesn't know the Lord Jesus personally yet. He's eager. He's desiring to hear truth and receive it as such. Friends, some of you are in a very similar place. You're here. You're curious. The Lord is drawing you to Himself. Trust in Him today. Hear His invitation to repent and believe and respond in faith. Call out to Him in prayer, even as we, as we sing or as we continue to gather. Jesus is Lord over all, and send the, so then the good news of Jesus must go to all. It must go, and it will go to the four corners. No one is beyond. Brothers and sisters, may that truth encourage us as we prayerfully seek the salvation of those who we dearly love and are on mission to in this life. You have people in your life just like I do that are still trying to find life in lesser things, still chasing after false saviors here and there. They're coming up empty, dry wells, over and over and over. And we have the hope because we've experienced it ourselves. We have the hope in Jesus Christ, the the bread of life, the living water, the one who truly satisfies and gives abundant and eternal life. So may we invite others in. May we invite others in, be open to the Spirit's work as we live as His witnesses in everyday life. May we repent of partiality and bias and favoritism that we'll talk about more next week. But may we repent of these, these sinful patterns these sinful attitudes that hinder the gospel from going out they are the patterns of this world they are most certainly the patterns of this world but we are god's people and we do not conform to the patterns of this world but we seek renewal of mind and renewal of a way of life that reflects jesus christ our lord and savior we're going to move toward a time of communion and i encourage our first impressions team you guys can begin to hand out the elements as I talk. But if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're welcome to take communion. You're invited and encouraged to remember his sacrifice through a wafer and through juice. But listen to what Paul writes in Ephesians 2, addressing what Jesus has done, starting here in, in Acts 10, of making a new people out of both Jew and Gentile. So Ephesians 2, 11 through 22, Paul writes, So then, remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcised by those called the circumcised, which is done in the flesh by human hands. At that time, you were without Christ, excluded from the citizenship of Israel and foreigners to the covenants of promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who are far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He is our peace, who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility. In His flesh He made of no effect the law, consisting of commands and expressed in regulations, so that He might create in Himself one new man from the two, resulting in peace. He did this so that He might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross, by which He put the hostility to death. He came and proclaimed the good news of peace to you, who were far away in peace to those who were near. For through Him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus Himself as the cornerstone. In Him, the whole body being 
put together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him, you're also being built together for God's dwelling in the Spirit. Once we were far away, without Christ, excluded from citizenship. Foreigners, without hope, without God. But now, in Christ Jesus, and all thanks to Him, the cross, believers we have been brought near, near to Him, our Savior, and near to one another, His saved, Spirit-indwelt people. Now, fellow citizens, saints, members of His household, together being built up into Him, into a holy, worshipful people who are then sent out into the world so that more and more people might hear and respond to the gospel. Let's spend time in prayer as you hold those elements. Let's spend time remembering his broken body, his shed blood, the good news that is good news for us today. Not just at our conversion, not just on judgment day. It is good news for us today. So let's pray and then we'll take those elements together. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat the bread. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's drink the juice. Jesus, you are Lord over all. And your good news is to go to all places and all people. For in the end, when all things are made new, your people from every tribe, tongue, and nation will gather to worship you and declare that you are worthy. What you began in Acts 10 and bringing good news to Gentiles, you're continuing to this day. We gather here in this little corner of the world a grateful, thankful people. Grateful for brothers and sisters who lived on mission and passed down the gospel from one generation to another. We're grateful that your Acts 1-8 mission included us. Increase the number of those who are being saved here locally and around the world. Strengthen and build your church in all places. We repent of bias and partiality that lurks in our flesh. Help us rather to reflect you, Lord Jesus, as we live as witnesses in a world in desperate need of true hope and real abundant life. Thank you for the truth that no one is beyond the saving and redeeming power of your good news. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Paul writes this again in Ephesians 2. So then, you're no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole building being put together, grown grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him, you are also being built together for God's dwelling in the Spirit. It is a joy. It is a privilege to be alongside one another as the Lord does that building work in us and through us.